minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Launch Pod. 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 Hello and welcome to Launch Pod. I'm Vanessa Hill. LaunchPod is dedicated to exploring cool ways you can get involved in the space industry. This week, it's space geology. How can you examine the rocks of a planet millions of kilometres away? If we can't go to a planet, can we wait for it to come to us? Sean Elliott takes up the story. Now, if you want to collect rocks from other planets, it turns out that you don't have to spend billions of dollars on a probe and send it across the billions of kilometers of void to another planet. You can actually just wait for the rocks to come to us. Answer this man. Yeah, so I'm Dr. Andy Tompkins. I'm, I'm a senior lecturer at Monash University, um, and I do research on meteorites. Specifically, Andy's interest is in space geology, uh, which as a field is relatively new. It basically kicked off with lunar missions, actually, so it's been around since the 60s. It's people worked on impact craters around the world to try and understand some of these features on the surface of the moon. You can see lots of impact craters on the surface of the moon. And so that's really where it kicked off, probably. So it's a relatively young discipline. Um, it's only been relatively recently that we recognised that some meteorites were from Mars or the Moon, and so we could do planetary science by looking at meteorites. And So, yeah, relatively young discipline. Now, for most people we've interviewed for LaunchPod, uh, their interest in space has come from a young age. But for Andy, it's always been about the rocks. When I was a little kid, I just started collecting rocks, as little kids sometimes do, and I was, you know, about eight or nine when I started doing that. And my dad encouraged it by taking, taking me up to a minerals club and joining us up. We used to go out in the bush collecting gold and gems and all that sort of stuff. So that's what got me interested in it. So it just started out as rocks. And then when I was at uni later on, um, it just sounded really interesting, all the space science stuff. So it sort of evolved after I'd done my PhD and evolved. Uh, actually, when I found a, a big meteorite, um, after I'd done my PhD, I was already an academic. Um, sort of evolved as an interest from there. That, that first big meteorite, where was it? Where, uh, you're out on Nullarbor again or somewhere No, else? Uh, one of our third year mapping camps here at Monash, we're out near Broken Hill, which again is another desert area, which are really good for preserving meteorites before they rust. But anyway, just went out one morning looking for meteorites because I was generally interested in it and just happened to stumble across, it was a massive fluke, happened to stumble across this gigantic, well not gigantic, but a football sized meteorite, which is big in meteorite terms. And, um, so it had to have been big to begin with to actually survive that much before yeah, it hit the ground. Yeah. And so that got me even more interested. It gave me access to a way to study it that I hadn't really had before. I mean, you can buy meteorites on eBay fairly easily, but um, I hadn't really gotten the motivation to study it until I found that and then really got interested in it. And so things have evolved that way since then. And that was about six years ago, I guess now. So. What, what happened to that one big one? Did it end up on eBay? <laughs> no, I'll show it to you. Oh, cool. Yeah. So Andy went over to his shelf and oh, wow. brought over this really large rock. That weighs about out. nearly five kilograms. So this hasn't been cut into at all? Yeah, so there, you can see there's a broken surface on it there. Oh, yes. And so there were bits lying around it. Yeah. And this happens to be one of those bits, the one I showed you before. Yeah. That's what it looks like inside. Okay. So that's a, a stony meteorite. 
So stony because it's uh, got some bits of metal in it. But it's mostly. actually mostly silicate minerals, yeah. Yeah. So um, have you been able to determine whether this is a piece of Mars or...? Yeah, that one's a relatively uh, common major called an ordinary chondrite. So ah. it's unfortunately not from Mars. It would have been nice if something that big was from Mars, but it's unfortunately not. All right, this is my sad face now. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been very cool, but yes, no. That's awesome. That's So... That, <laughs> So yeah, I was suitably impressed, but it led to an obvious question in my head, which is, this thing is a rock, and if you're out there in a field full of rocks, how do you tell this rock from all the other rocks around you? How can you tell that this particular rock is a rock from space? Yeah, well, that's the good thing about being a geologist, right? You learn about lots of different types of rocks. Yeah. And so you know what's an earth rock, what's not, just by looking at it fairly quickly. And mm. so... I'd been doing some geological mapping in the hills nearby with the students, and then when I saw this, it just looked different to everything else, and that's made me that made me go and have a look at it a bit more closely, and then do all the other little tests that we do, and yeah, and you can see the shape of it. It's got that nice smooth out, out exterior there. That's that's where it's come through yep. the atmosphere and been ablated away as it came through shooting through. Yeah, right. So uh, th this isn't sort of um, like some kind of um uh, erosion. No, from... that's that's from coming through the atmosphere. So they enter the atmosphere at uh, more than 12 kilometres a second up to 72 kilometres a second. And so when they're moving that fast, obviously they're going to burn away as they go through the atmosphere. Yeah, that's what you get. What you get. Okay, so you found a meteorite. This is a, a beautiful trophy for the shelf. So what? I mean, here's Andy collecting meteorites. What can actually be determined from these rocks? My research background is in uh, metamorphism, so that's understanding what happens to rocks when they get cooked uh, at high temperatures and pressures. And so you can do the same sort of studies on meteorites to look at what the early solar system processes were that led to formation of cores and that sort of thing, so the Earth's core and the core of Mars and all that sort of stuff. And so since then I've been looking at metamorphic processes in meteorites to try and understand those processes. So is that processes to relate directly to Earth or you are actually sort of looking at the solar system as a whole? Yeah, it's sort of look, looking at it from a more holistic point of view, but uh, looking at core formation in asteroids and then and that, how that might relate to core formation in the Earth because the, the Earth basically, basically accreted from a whole bunch of asteroids, right? So mm. what happened to the asteroids ultimately plays a role in formation of the Earth. So. Well, we found a few really interesting ones. One of, one of the honor students is working on a, an unusual meteorite that formed from right near the core of uh, one of these parent bodies, and it's gone through some just the starting points of melting when you start to form the core and then start to form a crust as well. So we're right at that initial stages of melting, and that tells us a lot about the processes that go on before melt comes off to form the crust or, and then goes down to form the core as well. So it's actually... A, Fairly important meteorite. So when we're saying parent body, we're talking about uh, the start of the solar system. We've got all of these things bashing into each other and eventually forming something that's going to eventually become a planet. Um, so how do these things then, you know, uh, escape in order so that we can find them again? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. So a parent body basically means the, the body that the meteorites came from. And so what typically happens is you've got all these... Uh, asteroids wandering around in the asteroid belt and before then they were wandering around like, wandering around in space over broader regions before they accumulated into the asteroid belt. And so you've got lots of collisions between these things and when they bang into each other they knock, knock bits off 
and then you've got a little bit wandering off that can cross the Earth's orbit. It'll come into our atmosphere, land on the ground, and then you've got a piece of meteorite that came from its parent asteroid. So you can understand little bits about the parent asteroid from looking at that. Now, the bits from Mars and the Moon happen in the same way. You get a bigger asteroid crashing into Mars. If it's big enough, it can hit with enough energy to knock bits off with enough velocity to overcome the escape velocity, get into space, cross the Earth's orbit, and then we can go and pick it up on the ground eventually. And we've got, I think, over 50 meteorites from Mars now uh, being found in the deserts in Africa and in Antarctica as well. It turns out that Antarctica is a great place to go and find meteorites because in this place, which is basically snow and ice with the natural rock being in some places many kilometers below the surface of the ice, the only rocks that you'll find on top of the ice will have been ones that have come from space. Okay, let's pause just there and rewind the clock back, back to around 1996. I was uh, a student at university and I remember at this time there was a lot of controversy about a particular rock. This was a meteorite that had been found in Antarctica and was later determined to have come from Mars and apparently in this rock they had found signs of life. Now I was curious about this I hadn't heard much about it over the last 15 or so years so I asked Andy what's the story with this rock this rock that is meant to have come from Mars with the possibility of evidence of life on Mars uh, I think the general consensus in the academic community is that it's not life but it's it's raised at a very important debate about how you would actually tell that it's life it looks very similar to the types of the textures they're talking about look very similar to the types of textures that organisms on Earth make. So it's, it's still a little bit up in the air, but it's mostly uh, mostly consensus that it's not life at the moment. But it's a it's a very important question to ask. Very tantalising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the Antarctic meteorites. So, yep. uh, if if you had a piece of meteorite and there was evidence of life, how how could you actually determine whether uh, it was life that had come from, say, somewhere like Mars, or whether it was a rock that had hit the Earth and life had somehow infested, like the lichen on this, uh, like, yeah. like lichen gets yeah. into the chalk. Yeah, the lichen gets into every rock, right? Mm. Especially if it lies out in the desert for long enough. So that's actually one of the one of the problems. It's actually it's hard to have a meteorite land go pick it up quick enough that it doesn't interact with the atmosphere somehow. There's so many microorganisms around that it's almost inevitable that we some interaction with microorganisms somehow. Um, so you need fossilised evidence of life somehow. So that's what was in this uh, meteorite from Mars that was found in Antarctica. There was some fossilised bits of evidence. So ideally you'd have a nice, nice big fossil sitting in your meteorite and you go, oh yeah, there's a nice fossil of a crab from Mars. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's never going to happen. Right? <laughs> Space crab! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that sort of thing. So what I'd been hearing is that everything you'd been looking at involved a lot of different disciplines like physics and chemistry. So I asked him, what would be his advice to any future students wanting to go into space geology? I learned at high school chemistry and physics are really, really good grounding for geology. And so most people haven't haven't got access to do geology at, at high school and so often people come to university and take geology as a, as a fill-in subject because they'd never seen it before, they don't know what it's like and they see our first year subject here at Monash, it's coming from broad space understanding down to evolution of the earth and so people get to see what geology is from that point of view and get really interested in it and then take a career in it and 
So chemistry and physics are basically the grounding points for, for geology. That's, that's the basis for geology. So I've got two honour students and a PhD student who are working on meteorites. And so they've done our undergraduate geology degree and then done reasonably well and got into our honours program and then they've started, decided to specialise in meteorites with me. And so from that point on they can go and have an academic career in um, space science through researching meteorites. And here's the part that I find particularly exciting. The fact that we can go and explore places like the Moon or Mars just by looking around for meteorites here on Earth. And there's plenty of places where we haven't looked for them. To be honest, um, we can actually get a lot by, and for a lot less money, by uh, doing exploration for meteorites in Antarctica. Australia hasn't done that yet. There's a huge amount of Australian Antarctic Territory that hasn't been explored yet. Uh, for meteorites, There's, they'll be sitting out there on the surface. We, we need to get down there and start doing it. So, so this is space exploration from leave, yeah. not leaving the Earth. So you can get by doing a few missions down to Antarctica, you can get samples from Mars, from the Moon, from all sorts of other uh, parent bodies. And so it's vital information that we don't have. Uh, we do have from a few other meteorites, but there's all sorts of new information you get from looking at new meteorites. So much less expenditure than the three to four billion it cost for a sample return mission to Mars. That's all for this week. Images of Andy's meteorites can be found at our site, launchpod.net. There you can also find out how to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Twitter. Our thanks to Dr Andy Tompkins, who, if given the opportunity to send anything into space, would launch... ...some bugs to Mars or Europa to try and start... ...see whether they'd live there, see whether they'd start colonising the place. So a la yep. Red Planets and the, a whole yeah. bunch of aphids. Yep, uh, yep, exactly, and see what happens to it. And, uh, now, yeah. you realise the ones in Red Planet actually became man-eating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Wouldn't be such a good thing. <laughs>